good to have you here. If uh, you have your Bibles, you might open them to John chapter 10. It's where we are today. We're kind of moving into John 10, and we'll be there for a little while. Um, got your Bibles. I've got it printed in your notes for you. Let me, uh, let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. Father God, I, I thank you for our opportunity this morning to, to be together as a family, uh, to worship you, and to express our love for you in response to your love for us. And I pray for us now as we open up your word. And Father, it's always so humbling <laughs> for me to open up your word and teach because your word is so magnificent. It is so deep. It is so beautiful. It is so full of glorious things. And, and we are so incapable of expressing that. And I feel that this morning, but I pray that you will do the work of, of teaching of delivering your word to our hearts because we need to hear from you this morning. And so we pray as we think about the Good Shepherd, Father, that you will be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So uh, for the last, let's see, three weeks, I've been painting the exterior of my home. Um, it's a little bit overdue, and I should have done it last year, and I had shoulder surgery, so that was my excuse for not doing it. And, and uh, this year, I needed to get to it, and I kind of kept putting it off. And so what I've been doing is, as I, you know, if, at the end of the day, if I have an hour or two hours or ten hours, I'll just pull out a brush and a roller and be working on the house. And, and it, you know, if you've ever painted your house before, and I'm just kind of doing it myself, it's taken quite a quite a bit of time to do it, but it's given me a lot of time to think. And uh, we've been living in our house uh, for 26 years, and so we have a lot of memories in that house. And it, it, so it's been an interesting exercise to kind of go around the house and prep and, you know, caulking and, and uh, you know, priming and all that kind of stuff, and then just slowly painting. And as I've been going around the house, I, a lot of memories have come to mind in different places outside the house. You know, this is the house we uh, raised all our kids in. It's a house uh, we sent them all out from. It's the house we're empty nesters now in. And, and uh, I, was in, I was in the front of the house uh, at the entryway, and I was just doing some scraping and caulking and all that stuff. And I, I thought of a particular time many years ago when I was sitting on the front steps of the house, and it just kind of vividly came to my mind. It was a lot of years ago, and it was really dark time for um, us as a family. It was a really dark time for me. Um, we had a, a child, our oldest son, uh, who was probably, at this point, probably five, had been chronically sick for uh, three years. And it was just three years of hospitals, hospitalization, um, doctor's visits, appointments, uh, testing, uh, trying this treatment, not having it work, try that treatment, literally getting up every single morning um, as he would take a test and we would see is our kidneys working today and, and day after day and month after month having the answer be no and no. And I, I just remember uh, between that and um, doctor appointments and, and pastoring, so I was, I was fairly new here. I was trying to figure this thing out. Uh, I, I felt really overwhelmed by what was happening here. Um, good things, but just, you know, not really, wasn't really sure what I was doing. Um, our, we had a growing family. Um, the house that we live in is old, so it's just constantly, if you have a house like that, you know, you're always fixing something, so I'm always trying to figure out how to work here and how to do stuff there. And, um, and then there was the debt, and that's the thing I really remember. I remember getting a phone call many years ago um, from the hospital, and I didn't want my family 
to hear the conversation, so I went out and sat on the front steps with the door closed and had this conversation about how the hospital wanted some money that I didn't have. And we'd racked up a lot of debt. Uh, We didn't have great insurance, but we had huge needs. And so it was kind of one of those, you know, he, he's like, well, can you sell a car or, you know, what can you do to pay this bill? And I, I needed to pay the bill and I wanted to pay the bill. I just didn't know how to pay the bill. And I remember sitting there after the conversation was over feeling like a completely inadequate person, feeling um, inadequate as a father and not able to, uh, you know, get the best treatment in the country for my son. I could, couldn't even afford the treatment we were getting. Um, feeling inadequate to solve. You know, if, if you're a parent and you've had a child that's sick, you just, you just want to fix it, right? And not being able to fix that thing. I felt inadequate as a husband. My, my wife was dealing with a lot of stresses and pressures on her, and I, I didn't know how to help her. I felt inadequate as a pastor. I would come in here every day, and God was just doing a lot of great things, but I, I didn't know what I was doing. And you know, I felt inadequate in so many ways. I, I lacked wisdom. Um, and I liked the power. I lacked the power to fix the things around me that were broken. And I just remember sitting there on the front steps that day, feeling broken and feeling, um, well, to use uh, the term in scripture because I happened to be reading in John ten. I felt like I needed a shepherd. I felt like I needed someone to to lead me. I was deeply aware of how much I needed a shepherd. And of course, the irony is this. I didn't need a shepherd at that point any more than I ever need a shepherd. Any more than you need one right now. There may be times when we don't realize how much we need a shepherd, but that's just because we're not aware at that moment of how much we need the good shepherd to lead us. Everyone needs a shepherd. Every one of us needs someone to lead us because we are all heading to places we've never been before. Every one of us. Um, Relationally, right? We are all heading into relationships that we've never been in before. If you're married, that marriage, if it's, if it's healthy, it's moving, it's changing, you're heading into places and phases in marriage you've never been before, right? If, you, if you're raising kids, that's a constantly moving target, right? You're raising kids, even when your kids are grown up, right? You're still in so many ways. Relationally, it's, it's changing, and you've never been there. You don't know how to do that. You might fool yourself. I read some books. You know, I'm a pretty smart person, but... You're just fooling yourself. You need, you need a shepherd educationally. If you're, if you're still in school, right, you're making decisions. You're going places you've never been before. Where should I go to school? What should my major be? How, how much schooling should I, you know, should I pursue? Vocationally, your job's changing. It's shifting. You're heading places. Financially, you're heading places you've never been before. You're, you're heading into opportunities in life, maybe with, with time and options that you've never had before. Challenges physically, Right? That's a big one. Physically, my wife and I were at, we were at a memorial service yesterday, and a lot of the people there I haven't seen for like 30 years. And uh, I was like, you know what? We're, we're all getting older, and we're all heading places physically we have never been before, and we need someone to show us a way. We need someone to lead us through that. Now, in John chapter 9, where we've been for a couple of weeks, we, we read this story about a man who had been born blind. And Jesus comes along and heals him. And it's an unprecedented miracle. No one had ever seen anything like that ever before. What's really interesting is the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, who uh, claimed to be Israel's spiritual shepherds, they, there was no, in response to this miracle, there was no praise for God. 
There was no uh, hallelujahs, you know. There was no uh, awe or gratefulness. There was no like, well, we've never seen anything like this. No, there's none of that, right? They're just angry. Imagine they're angry about this miracle that Jesus worked. They're angry because Jesus did it on a day they didn't think it should have been done. He did it on the Sabbath. They didn't, they didn't like that, so they're, they're angry. In fact, they go so far as actually at one point to say, well, this isn't even the guy who is blind. You know, like they deny that, and then they, they hassle the parents, and then they hassle the guys born blind. They, they, they say Jesus must be a sinner Get the logic has sinner because he healed a man born blind, but he did it on the Sabbath. Only a, right, only a sinner would do that, they're thinking. And then, and then they cast the formerly blind man out. They don't, think about this. He's heading into a brand new kind of life he has never seen with his eyes. He's, he's never had that kind. We wouldn't know what that's like, but it's a huge transition. And instead of taking him by the hand and leading him forward, they cast him out of the spiritual community. You are out. Why? Well, because you used to be blind, and now you see. And the problem is it was done on the Sabbath. These are the spiritual shepherds of the day. And then we come to John chapter 10. As we read this morning, it introduces us to the good shepherd. You're probably very familiar with that term. Jesus is the good shepherd. But when we talk about a good shepherd, uh, most of us have no reference for shepherding. We don't know what that is and what that looks like. So if you said to me, if you said Nicaragua, right? Nicaragua, I would, all sorts of things would come to my mind. I'd think of people, and I'd think of geography, and I'd think of food and the culture, because I've been there and I can imagine that. But if you say um, Middle Eastern shepherding, I've never seen it. I, I've never been there. I've seen a few pictures, but I don't really know what that is. It's foreign to me. Now I know some things about sheep because you know, the internet, so I can look that stuff up. So I know, I know sheep are basically stupid, all right? They're, they're very low on the intelligence scale. Uh, we know that they're prone to wander. Uh, in fact, sheep are prone to wander off, and when one sheep wanders off, sheep are, you know, likely to follow that sheep, no matter where he goes and how lost he is. They don't care. They're, they're easily frightened. They're defenseless, right? They, they've got no claws or talons or, you know, they can't do it. They can't kickbox you. They're, they're sheep. They're completely defenseless. And then there's this thing that sheep do called casting sometimes. It's not a, not a good thing. Maybe you've, you've read about this. If the, if the fleece gets too heavy and the sheep lays down, then they may end up rolling on their back. And once they do that, it's all over. They'll suffocate unless someone comes along and turns them over. So when I was studying about this, people kept telling me, have you read about Shrek the sheep? Have you guys read about Shrek? I'm like, no, it keeps popping up. So I looked up Shrek, Shrek the sheep. So let me read this for you. This is just a quick... In 2004, Shrek, a merino sheep from New Zealand, did not go to the shearing shed with the rest of his flock on the day he was due to have his beautiful fleece trimmed for summer. Instead, he went in the other direction and he found a cave and he lived in it by himself. Now, you might wonder why nobody missed Shrek, but he was part of a flock of 17,000 sheep. And the shepherds thought they'd rounded up all the sheep and they didn't notice when one slipped away. Now, Shrek did not just skip shearing on that one day. He lived in his cave avoiding cheering for six entire years. Can you imagine what Shrek looked like after six years of growing his wool and no shearing? Okay. <laughs> now the shepherd who eventually found him didn't even recognize him as a sheep at first. His wool was so long, it covered most of his face and his legs, and poor Shrek must have been, can you imagine, very hot and uncomfortable. So the shepherd took him back at the shearing shed and gave him his first haircut in six years Look at that. <laughs> That's like, so 
It says, when it was all cut off, Shrek's fleece weighed 60 pounds. That's enough wool to make 20 men's suits. Now, since then, actually, there's been a new record of a sheep that had 88 pounds, but that's another story. So we know, for instance, that while some sheep were raised for food and some were raised for the sacrificial system, most often sheep were raised in the Middle East for wool. So that would mean that a, a shepherd would have the same sheep for many, many years. And they would care for them. That it would be a very personal kind of relationship, you know. They, they, was like a, they were like a pet. Maybe like some of your pets. They gave them constant care and food and, and leading and cleaned them and protected them. Now, sheep are a biblical metaphor for people. And a lot of times people find that offensive. And I get why, because sheep are very low intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But... In Psalm 100, it says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people. We are the, notice, the sheep of his pasture. In Isaiah 53, it kind of has another picture. All we like sheep have gone astray. It talks about the fact that we have all sinned. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so in John chapter 10, we read about this, this shepherd, uh, this, what I want to call the, the legitimate shepherd. As we dive into the passage today, we see this, this concept. In John chapter 10, verse 1, again, we read this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door or the, or the gate, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So, Villages in those days would have a sheepfold. Most individual households who had a flock, they wouldn't just have their own sheepfold. It was too expensive to have. And so they'd have these communal sheepfolds where it would be surrounded by maybe stone walls and some buildings and houses, and then there'd be a single gate. And the sheep would go out in the daytime and they would graze in the countryside and the shepherds would bring them in to this communal sheepfold at night. And um, all the sheep would just kind of mix together for the evening, all the different herds. And with their combined resources, they would hire a gatekeeper. And the job of the gatekeeper was to guard the sheep at night. We know that oftentimes the gatekeeper would sleep in front of the gate so no one could get in or out. And he would only allow the legitimate shepherds to come in in the morning and, and lead out their flocks. And so Jesus talks about these thieves and these, these robbers. Those terms are used synonymously in, in the Greek here. The point is there, there's only one way to get in and one way to get out. That's a, a gate or a door. And anyone trying to get in any other way was just up to trouble. And so the context here is Jesus is talking about the Jewish religious leaders. And instead of caring for the sheep, instead of being legitimate shepherds, these were people who were actually using the sheep harming the sheep, manipulating the sheep for their own personal gain, they're not legitimate shepherds. Right? But a legitimate shepherd enters at the front gate. Verse 3, Now to him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now there's a little debate about who the gatekeeper is in this story. Some say it's the man born blind. Some think it's John the Baptist or the Holy Spirit or the Father, but the point he's making is this. The gatekeeper only allows the legitimate shepherd, you know, the one with the lanyard and the little, you know, ID card. He's the only one who gets in. And notice it says, it says he calls his own sheep by name. So it's not just a flock. He knows everyone 
individually, and we know that Palestinian shepherds back then and still to this day will often name every single sheep according to their characteristics. So they might, you know, one might be stinky and wooly and mutton, and you know, they, they name them all and they know the name of every one. And it says, notice he leads them out. So this is it's a little different than maybe the picture we have of shepherding. Western shepherds drive their sheep, right? So they get behind the sheep and they drive them. Maybe they have a sheep dog or in rare cases a sheep pig and they, they you know, kind of they just kind of drive them out. But Middle Eastern shepherds didn't do that. They would lead their flocks. They would lead them, they would go before them and lead them with their voice. And in the sheepfold in the morning, all the different flocks would be mixed together. And so a shepherd would come and, and uh, the gatekeeper would open the gate for him and he would call to his sheep. And they would recognize his voice and they would, they would follow him out. They would hear his voice and they, they know his tone and the peculiar sounds that he would make and and they would not follow the voice of anyone else only the voice of their shepherd they would recognize it notice in verse 5 a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers now this figure of speech jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them figure of speech in the greek there means a a parable or an illustration or a, a story with a veiled symbolic meaning so he tells the story and people listening like, we're not, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. So he's going to tell another story. He's going to give another illustration as we move on in verse 7. And now he's going to talk about himself as, as the door, or, or we would say the gate. So he gives another story, another metaphor, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door, or that is, I'm, I'm the gate of the sheep. Now, if you've been keeping track, we, we've told you there are seven I am statements in John, and this is the third of those. Jesus says, I am the door, or some translations would say, the gate. In other words, he's the only way in and the only way out of the sheepfold. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now the thief, here we have the thief again, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus draws a distinction between Himself is a good shepherd in between anyone else who would enter the sheepfold. He says a thief, by the way, does three things here. And it's a progression of things. Steal, kill, and destroy. So he's describing slaughter here. First they steal the sheep, then they kill them, and then it, you know, they, they break them up, if you will. That's what that means, and destroy them and prepare them for a feast. But Jesus is the door. Instead of leading to death, Jesus leads to tr- true and eternal life. That's what makes him different as a shepherd. And when he says to enter by me, he simply means to, to trust in him. He, he is the shepherd and he is the door. Uh, he'll say later, he's the way and the truth and the life. He says for him who, who comes to Jesus and enters in, that is who believes in him or places their faith in him, they will be given eternal life. Very different from the other shepherds here. In fact, he describes it as life abundantly. And you may know this in your notes that, that abundantly means excessive or extravagant or expansively full. In other words, his sheep will experience God's love and his forgiveness and salvation and protection and provisions, the, the providence of God. will be filled with purpose and blessing and guidance and peace and joy. D.A. Carson in his commentary puts it this way. This suggests a fat contented, flourishing sheep. That's a good picture. That's what it is to be those who know the good shepherd. 
And so he talks about this idea that he's the door, but he's trying to help people still understand, so he gives uh, another picture. He goes on in verse 11, and Jesus talks about himself, now, not just the shepherd, but as a good shepherd. And that word good is important that he adds on here. Verse 11, notice this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this is the fourth of the I am statements that we have in John. Now that word good is an important word. Uh, kalos in the Greek, and it, it means beautiful. Sometimes we translate it as beautiful, sometimes as good, but the idea of good or beautiful here is in a moral sense. This is very, very important. He is good. He is beautiful. It's really a, a better word. He is beautiful in a moral sense. He's beautiful in the way that he cares for us. He's beautiful in the way that he relates to us. He calls us by name. He's beautiful in the way that he knows us, as we'll look at. He's beautiful in the way that he abundantly provides for all of our needs. How he provides salvation and, and, and protection and leads us into abundant life. He's beautiful in the way, or good, in the, the terms kind of inter, intertwined here. Right? It reminds us of Romans, right? For God works out all things for the what? For the good. That's the idea, for the good of those who, who know him are called according to his purpose. He's good. He is, he is beautiful. Now, we've all probably known someone that we thought was a good person, right? Oh, he's a good guy. She's, she's a good person. And this is one of those experiences in life, you know. I, but they turned out to be something else. In my years as a pastor, I've, I, I've unfortunately met too many people who I thought were good people. They're a good person. They're they're a moral person, only to find out later that it was absolutely not true at all, that they were a terrible person, that, that, that they were really false shepherds. And, and we've probably all known people like that. And it, it's difficult because it can make us cynical, can it? Like we can reach a point, I've had many people say, and I just don't trust anybody anymore because I, people are, are, are capable of terrible things and you never really know people. But the good shepherd is completely good and I I think our hearts ache for that. Our hearts ache for someone that we can absolutely trust without reservation. And he tells us here the most outstanding quality of the good shepherd is this. He protects the sheep with his life. Like that is the most beautiful thing about him. The shepherd protects his sheep from wolves and thieves from starvation and dangerous weather and even from, the, even from the sheep themselves. And it says here that a good shepherd lays down his life. It, now Jesus is obviously talking about the cross here. He's looking forward to the cross. In fact, he mentions it four times in our passage today in verse 11, 15, 17, and 18. It's the main idea here. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 12, now he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches him and scatters him and he flees because, well, he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus talks about a hired hand here. A little contrast. This is a man who's hired to you know, protect the sheep at night. But they're just a job for him. They're, they're just a paycheck for him. And if he's on the job and he's, his life is on the line, Right? He's going to save himself. Yeah, he's he's going to leave the sheep in danger, even if he has really good intentions 
as a hired hand. He's not going to sacrifice himself for someone else's sheep. And to be fair, how many of us would die for our job? I mean, really, how many of us would be like, yeah, it's just a job, <laughs> right? It's a good job market. I can go get another job right now. And this is what he's talking about here. The hired hand represents the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus is just trying to say this. They don't do ministry because they love people. They're not doing this because they want to help people connect with God or help them grow up spiritually in order to help a man who was, who was blind his whole life and now can see to shepherd him into the future. No, that's not what this is about. This is about personal benefit. It's a job. And they see Jesus as a threat to their livelihood. And they're not about to sacrifice themselves for the sheep. The good shepherd. In contrast, is the good shepherd. I, I like what R.C. Sproul said. He said this one time in a sermon. He said, I tell my congregation that they are God's sheep. I do not own them. They don't belong to me. Christ is their shepherd, their good shepherd. The best they can hope from, for, uh, for from me is that I'll be a good hireling. But that is all I will ever be, a hireling. Therefore, I tell them that they should not look to me, but look to Christ, who is their good shepherd, the one who will never desert them. Those are wise words. <laughs> I was thinking in the years that I've been here, in my ministry here, there, there are times in the 30 years I've been here where sometimes I'll meet people who they, they just don't like me. They don't like me. And they'll just tell me. You know, they'll come to church a few times and go, we're not going to keep going to Gateway. We don't, we don't really like you. Or, you know, maybe they... Don't like my leadership style, or, you know, my, my head's too shiny, um, or they don't like a sometimes they don't like a decision I made, or they don't like the direction I'm, I'm, I'm moving the church in, or sometimes people be like, I just don't like your preaching, and they'll just leave. Sometimes people just leave. Sometimes they don't leave, they just quiet quit, like that's the word we use now. I'm, I'm staying, but I'm not liking you, and I'm not supporting what's going on in, in your life, right? And, and you know what? I, part of my job over the last few years has been increasingly to spend time with other senior pastors who are younger than me, which is almost every senior pastor, and uh, to be able to encourage them because there is so much hurt. I don't think people understand sometimes how personal it is when someone says, I don't like you, or, or I don't like your preacher, I don't like whatever it is. Now, here's the thing. I get it. I get it. When people say, I don't like that decision, or I don't like the way you lead, or I don't like what, I get it. I'm not the good shepherd. I'm not even a good shepherd, you know. I'm just, I'm just trying to do the best that I can, but I, but I get it. I get it how, how that works. Jesus, though, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the beautiful shepherd. In verse 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and, and I lay down my sheep. There it is again. And I lay down my life, he says. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says this, just as the Father knows me. That's an interesting concept that we're going to deal with in the future. But what he's saying is this, God lives in fellowship. God has always lived in fellowship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God did not create you, as some people legitimately, because he was lonely in heaven and he needed some friends. God has always existed in perfect fellowship. And he calls us to reflect that fellowship in our relationship with him, and in our relationship with each other. He knows us intimately. This is the thing that struck me this week. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about your past. He knows everything about your fail, all of your failures, all of your sins, all of your hurts, your dreams, your quirks. He knows all of your sins, every one of your sins, past, present, and future, and yet he calls you his own. He knows you by name. 
I mean, think about this. If the people around you knew everything about you, if the people closest to you knew you, if they knew everything you'd ever done in secret, if they knew every thought you'd ever thought but maybe didn't say out loud, right? Every word you've ever said, would that be a deal breaker? Would that be more than, than people around you could actually handle to know all of that? Jesus knows everything about us, and yet he was still willing to lay down his life, not just to be your friend, but to lay down your, his, his life for you. He is not just the shepherd, he's the good shepherd. He's not just the good shepherd, he's the one shepherd. He's the only one. In verse 16, he says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be, notice, one flock, and there will be one shepherd. So now again, Jesus is speaking to Jews. That's his, his primary audience right now. And, and what he's basically saying is this. There's the, the, the sheepfold made up of, of all the, the Jews that lived, that were there at the time, and just ethnically, they were, they were Jews. And the, the big picture is this. Jesus is saying this. I'm going to go to the sheep pen, I'm going to open up the door, and I'm going to call my sheep out of the Jewish community. Right? We've talked about this. Being a Jew doesn't save you. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. And so Jesus says, I'm going to call to my sheep and they're going to come out and they're going to follow me. Those are mine. But he says it's not, there's, there's more than just the, sh- the sheep here in the sheepfold. Jesus says there are other sheep out there and I'm going to die for them. And I'm going to call them by name. And now this doesn't sound like a big thing to us. It's just everyone else, that's all the non-Jews, right? That's us. Jesus was talking about us. And he says, I'm going to go out to all those Gentiles that you don't like, those filthy, dirty, irreligious Gentiles, and I'm going to call them by name. Some of them are going to respond to me. And I'm not going to have Jesus. I'm not going to have like two flocks, the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm going to only have one flock, just one. And they're going to have one shepherd, only one. There's not going to be two groups, only one. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal to us today, but it was absolutely revolutionary in that day. It's a huge deal. The Jews despised the Gentiles and vice versa. And when we get to the book of Acts, which we were in a, a couple of years ago, you may remember a common theme in Acts. A common theme was Jews and Gentiles and just this kind of thing the whole time. And yet, one of the ways that you can just kind of walk through the book of Acts is what God does from taking two people to one people with one shepherd. But that's even true today. There's only one shepherd of the church today. And even though there are believers in, even in this church that are different from you, right? maybe, maybe politically they're different from you. Maybe their view over the last few masks on vaccines and, or in masks and stuff is different than you. Maybe financially they live in a different world than you, or maybe socially they run in different circles, or ethnically they're different, right? But we're only one flock. There's only one flock, and we only have one shepherd. And God has called us to be a family, even with our differences. That's why when Jesus said, people will know that you're my disciples for your, by your love for one another, he's saying it will be so weird, it will be so different that people will stand up and take notice. Well, going on in verse 17, he says, it's for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. We're going to see how this plays out in the months to come as, as Jesus moves towards the cross. Jesus will not be a passive victim at the cross. What we will see as we go on is that he is the initiator. It was his idea. It was the reason he came. And he will be in complete control of the entire process. Death is not something that this good shepherd might face. Death is what he came for. And the good shepherd will die for sheep, here's the ironic part, that are already dead. And he will die to bring them back to life. He will die to save us from our sin and from judgment and from death. In verse 19, it, it wraps up this way. It says, now there was a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he is a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And they're confused and they don't. Now, here's the irony here. Remember where we started in this passage? The irony is that Jesus said his sheep will hear his voice and they will recognize his voice and they will follow him. But here, these people do not recognize his voice, do they? See, because hearing it is not enough. You need to recognize it. You need to move toward him as the good shepherd. So we're going to carry on this conversation in the weeks to come. But I want to wrap this up and I'm, I just want to make Two points as we close this, and then we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to give them in the opposite of the logical order, if I could. The first is this. We need to get to know the Good Shepherd's voice. So, I became a Christian when I was 15, uh, as a freshman in high school. And as a new believer, Jesus was absolutely new to me. I mean, I did not know his voice other than I would just say, you know, the work that the Holy Spirit did, I read a, I read a really <laughs> uh, inaccurate, doctrinally speaking book, but it did a good job of presenting the gospel, and that was all I needed. And, and God, I think, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, called me to himself and gave me enough of an understanding to know to recognize his voice and respond to that, but that's really all I knew. I didn't know his voice. I only knew the voice of false prophets for the most part when I first became a Christian. Never been to church, never read the Bible. And one day somebody told me, God has given you a way to understand his voice, to recognize it. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All scripture, that is the Bible that we have, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We often say this, is, this verse kind of describes inspiration to us. I think a, a better word is expiation, that is it's breathed out of God. And what it tells us is that God has spoken to us, that we can recognize his voice because we read it in the word of God. And so what I did is, having never read the Bible, and even back then being a person who loves charts, I, I took, I know that you can't see this, but I, I took some cardstock and I thought, I want to get to know the Bible. I don't have my Old Testament one, but it, so this is way back in the Stone Age before we had like read through the Bible in a year and all that kind of stuff. And so I made up, this is the New Testament, I made up this little chart and I, I, all the books of the New Testament with a little box for each chapter and my goal is to go through every chapter of the Bible. And so I, for some reason, I still have this. Uh, I was pretty excited about that. And so I began to go through and read. Boy, you know, Maybe you can, can you remember if, if you had this experience the first time you read the Bible? Like the first time you read 
those, those books and those chapters, and it was, it was absolutely mind-blowing to me. And as I read, I began to become familiar with the voice of the shepherd, verse by verse. And then I began to have these experiences as I had read through the Bible. I remember one day having a conversation with a non-Christian who was trying to make a particular point, and he said this. He said, well, you know the Bible says, right, that um, God helps those who help themselves. And I remember thinking that that doesn't sound familiar. That doesn't sound like the voice of the shepherd to me, right? Because it's not. He never said that, by the way. Or, or, you know, when people would say, like, oh, remember what the Bible says, treat others as they've treated you. And I remember thinking, no, that doesn't sound like the voice of the shepherd. As I read the words of the shepherd, I began to recognize his voice. And when it wasn't his voice, I remember having a conversation at school one day when somebody said, well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was a created being who lived a good life and, and then became a god, and we can become gods as well. And I remember, like, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like the voice of the shepherd, but a, a year before I'd read the Bible, I, I wouldn't have known that. I'd have been like, oh, really? I didn't know God said that. Or, you know, Jesus is just one of many ways to God. Or, you know, here's a, one I, I hear a lot. Well, just listen to your heart, right? How do you know what to do? Just listen to your heart. I'm like, that doesn't sound like the Bible. What does the Bible say? The heart is what? Deceitful, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd, I wouldn't listen to my heart, right? The, your heart is what got you into trouble in the first place. Um, you know, or, or, you know, love and affirmation are the same thing. That doesn't sound like the Bible. Or, you know, you do you, or Jesus didn't judge anyone. Right? As you get to know the Word of God, you get to recognize the voice of God. Recognizing the shepherd's voice is not magical, it's not just, you know, God waves a little thing over you when you become a believer. It's a result of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual discipline of reading the Word, which, by the way, came to us by the Holy Spirit. It's opening the Bible. It's, it's, it's reading God's words. It's learning His voice. It trains us to recognize the voice of God. When I was in a seminary, I had this, uh, this infamous um, professor who taught Old Testament survey. Uh, Dr. Stanley Ellison, um, he wrote a, an amazing book on the New Testament. Um, and this was a guy who knew the shepherd's voice in a legendary way. So I remember taking his class for the first time. And before I took his class, people were like, oh, you're going to have Dr. Stanley Ellison. Okay, so here's the thing. Dr. Stanley Ellison knows every single verse in the Old Testament. And you can, so every class would always make a joke of it. Like we wouldn't tell him, but you know, We'd get to class a little early, and I can remember getting to class early, and people would be like, okay, can anybody find a really weird voice in the, or verse in the Old Testament that no one would know? And I remember one class in particular, I think it was the first one, somebody said, let's do Exodus 23:19b, okay, that says this, you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. And so this is what you would do. Somebody would be assigned, and then Ellison would come in, and he'd start the class, and he'd be, you know, going through, and then um, somebody would say, I, Dr. Ellison, I have a question, and um, I, isn't there, is there a verse in the Bible somewhere about, something about a, a goat, a, a young goat, and milk, and boiling, and all that stuff? And it would always go like this, it's like a little computer going, and he'd be like, hmm. And I can't, he always sounded like W.C. Fields to me. I can't really do his voice, but you're like, oh, let's see, uh, let's see, that would be Old Testament, and that would be the Pentateuch, I think it's the Pentateuch, and um, boy, that, I think that's going to be Exodus. Now we're all kind of leaning forward, right? And our seats like, is he going to do this? I'm going to say, 
chapter 23. Now we're right in the edge of our seats. And I'm going to say verse 19, like the second half. He was never wrong. This man knew the voice of the shepherd inside out. And we would kind of laugh, but there was also something extremely laudable about that. Like that's what we want it to be. We want to know the word of God. Wouldn't it be amazing to know the word of God that well that when you're out in the world, you don't even actually need your physical Bible at that moment to be able to talk about God or talk about doctrine or theology? Beware of false shepherds. False shepherds will say things like, you know, follow your heart. Trust your, you're a smart person. Trust your intelligence, right? Dive into self-help. That'll make you a better person. You know, or maybe it's the, the voice of a relationship that's, you know, become like an idol to you. Or the voice of greed or, or the pursuit of stuff or, or maybe relativism, right? You just, whatever, just find your truth. Those are all false voices of false shepherds. How will we recognize those? We need to know the word of God. We need to hear from our good shepherd. Hey, you, you're all going to walk out of here today and yet there are ways, there are places where you need to Know the voice of the good shepherd. What should I do in this situation? Right? What would the good shepherd say? What, what school should I go to? What major should I take? How much school should I, should I get? Should I, should I date her? Should I, should I marry her? Should, should I take that job or wait, take another job? Should I take a lesser job? Should I buy that thing or not? Right? Should I, I have some time. Should I give it to that or should I do that thing over there? We need to hear the voice of the shepherd. How do I... How do I react to that person and the thing they said or the thing they did? How do I love that person that's so hard to love? How do I take the gospel over there into a situation that seems difficult? How do I follow the good shepherd today? You need to know his voice. And the good news is, you can. He's already spoken to you. By the way, when you walk out today, there's all these tables in the lobby that have a whole bunch of different Bibles out there. Some really cool Bibles. And maybe you're from that, if you're like, I need a new Bible or a different Bible, there are Bibles that got, they have apps. You can put your phone on there and click on the page and it'll give you commentary. I mean, there's all sorts of, I would encourage you to go out there, look at the Bibles. If you can't afford one, we'll just give you one. But check it out. Get to know the voice of the shepherd. And I want to close with this. And this is where I, really would have started would have been the first point I think and that is you need to trust the good shepherd in verse 11 again he says this I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so what does that mean it means you you trust who he is right we've been saying this we've been going through John Jesus was God in the flesh God eternal who came down to this earth who is born into a body like ours, who knows what it's like to live on this earth, to go through the things we go through and yet without sin. And he came so that he could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That he could pay the price for the sin that we've committed and satisfy the justice that God demands. We trust who he is. We trust what he did. He went to the cross. That's, that's coming We'll be there in April, um, <laughs> right? And we will trust in the work that he did on the cross, in his death, in the shedding of his blood, in his body that was given for us, in his resurrection. 
that he would save us from sin and death. And I would also add that we trust in his goodness. He is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He knows what is best for us. And he always does what is best for us. He works all things for the good of those who love him. My question is this. Are you trusting the good shepherd? Notice what I'm not going to say. I'm not asking, did you trust the good shepherd? I'm not asking, was there a moment in the past where you prayed the prayer or walked the aisle? What I'm asking is, are you trusting him right now? Are you trusting him today? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where you need the good shepherd, but my question is, are you trusting him today? Because that's what matters. Here's another word that we've used in the book of John. Are you abiding? Are you staying connected to him? Are you trusting him? Not was there a day that you did it, now you're not. I don't know. Are you trusting him right now? We all need the good shepherd. We're going to take communion. And I'm going to invite you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, to take part. Just grab a wafer as it comes by and a cup, and I'm going to kind of lead us through this. So the men who have been so patient, you guys can come forward and pass this out. And I invite you to take the bread and the cup. And I, while we're doing that, I just want to read a couple things for you. The first is this. Edward Clink in his commentary on John chapter 10 does an interpretation of John chapter 10. And this is so cool. He says, John chapter 10 is basically an interpretation of Psalm 23. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 23. Now, you're probably very familiar with Psalm 23. We hear it oftentimes at at funerals, and rightfully so. But Edward Clink just kind of does a reinterpretation. Let me read it for you as you're taking that bread and and holding on to that cup. He says, Christ is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? I shall not want for anything because he's all that I need. Christ makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He brings rest to our soul. He leads me beside quiet waters for Christ refreshes my soul. Christ guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, and life has those valleys, right? I will fear no evil, for Christ is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Christ has prepared a table for me. We think about that today. Prepared a table for me. The bread and the cup. In the presence of my enemies, Christ has anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the Last Supper. He says this, he said on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we do now is we remember the good shepherd who laid down his life, not just for the sheep, but for you, one that he knows by name. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you a few minutes to, to 
pray and talk to the Lord, and when you're ready to go ahead and take the bread, and to take the cup, Scott's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. So you just take communion when you're ready, and then we will close by worshiping the Lord together. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for uh, this 21 verses that are absolutely packed with, with just beauty. Beautiful things about a beautiful shepherd. Father, we thank you for the bread and for the cup that remind us that we have a shepherd who came to lay down his life for the sheep. For sheep who were dead in their sins and trespasses, that we might receive new life in the good shepherd. We thank you for the bread and we thank you for the cup. We thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.